Hey guys, welcome back to Let's Chat Healthcare. Today I'm speaking with Erin. Erin is a respiratory therapist that works with pediatrics or children. And I think it's just really important to hear what Erin has to say about respiratory therapists and about their role. And he really breaks it down and defines like what exactly does a respiratory therapist do in the hospital setting. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode, so let's just get right into it. Don't forget to subscribe and find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare. All right, here's Erin to talk to us about the role of a respiratory therapist. Hi, Erin. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Laura, for having me. Pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us and like about your career and like what you do in the hospital and you're a respiratory therapist right i am i have been a respiratory therapist going on a little over three years now oh that's awesome and you work in pediatrics um do you just work in the emergency room or do you work on other floors as well i do float um uh, still but primarily i have been uh in, primarily in the emergency emergency department probably because they've been so busy lately. (laughs) Oh, yes. And I love being there. So (laughs) well, we appreciate having you. Um, Let's let's kind of just start with the basics. Can you talk about what a respiratory therapist does? Absolutely. So there's been, you know, a lot of misconception or misunderstanding about like what an RT does. And uh, every time I tell somebody like a family or friend what I do, they're like, Oh, what what does an RT do? It's actually really important. So the number one thing is we, we our primary concern is the airway. You know, you have to That's breathe a little important. bit. <laughs> <laughs> so we take everything um, about lungs. And the big picture, probably to narrow it down, is, you know, we take care of kids who have trouble breathing. And if they need an airway, like an ET tube, um, a.k.a. need to be intubated, be put on a ventilator, we manage all that. So we take care of their ET tube, their ventilator, and then when it goes down to the smaller aspects of like pulmonary diseases, like asthma, cystic fibrosis, we'll take care of breathing treatments and things along that sort. Yeah, I think that even as nurses, we we are taught that airway is the first thing that you should look at, airway, breathing, and circulation. And those first two are like your job. So definitely very important. <laughs> Yeah. So yes, airway is definitely important. So that's the one thing I worry about whenever we enter an emergent situation. And it's good to work with a nurse. And I love building the good rapport with a nurse where, you know, we could work as a team. (laughs) Well, the nurse, as you saw, has a million other things to do, like get a line, draw labs, and I'll take care of the airway, you know? Yeah, it's really nice to have someone that just focuses on that. So you say take care of the airway. Can you give us an example of a few things that you may do for maybe some of those like asthma kids or bronchiolytic kids? Absolutely. So these asthma kids, you know, sometimes they can get really severe where they're unable. The primary concern is they're wheezing, correct? And usually when they get sick, they'll be wheezing so hard they can't exhale the air. So that's the primary concern when they have bronchospasm and they can't breathe. So we'll definitely get them on treatments right away. We'll get them on continuous albuterol escalate if we have to to um, positive pressure ventilation where it's not an ET tube where we intubate them but it's just a mass and that's giving positive pressure to help them breathe and they can exhale so so go ahead so with wheezing 
you can't exhale, does that mean you're just like building up too much pressure in your lungs? Correct. And that's what we call air trapping. And, you know, these kids, mm. you can tell sometimes when they, we call it, they get barrel chested, their chest will be like, almost look swollen. And that's because they're trapping so much air out and they can't exhale that air when they're wheezing. Mm. And then like the medications, like open up their airways so they can't exhale it out. That's what they do. Correct. So albuterol is a bronchodilator that will have, that will causes a uh, smooth muscle relaxation in the airways and it'll open up their airways and help them breathe a lot better. <laughs> So mm, sometimes it takes a lot longer than usual. Sometimes our kids, you know, as you know, will give a few treatments, but then they'll end up on continuous albuterol for hours. So they'll be down in an emergency department getting continuous albuterol for like, you know, three, four hours straight if they have to. Mm. And then over to like intubations, what, what types of things happen with your airway where you would require an intubation? Oh, you know, that for an example, um, just this morning, around like five, four in the morning, I had to intubate a kiddo. So an example for him was um, he was seizing. And when you're seizing, you can't mm-hmm. adequately uh, ventilate. So um, during the seizure, he wasn't moving his chest. So um, as an RT, we look for things like chest rise, you know, make sure they're breathing in oxygen saturations. And his oxygen saturation was dropping to 70. That's significantly mm. low when we are expecting above 92 at the minimum. Mm. And um, when you don't have an, when he's not taking adequate um, breaths, we're going to have to bag that bag valve mask, ventilate. Mm-hmm. We use our, our mask to ventilate and we use that in preparation right before an intubation. That makes sense. So you deal a lot with airway and you work with kids specifically. Are there things that um, maybe like what, what is the most common problem you see with kids? Probably asthma, right? Yes, asthma. That's probably the number one. So what are some things that you feel like maybe parents could do better with their kids to improve the asthma outcomes or even just like when they're in the emergency room, what are some types of things that they could do better to help improve their child and make not not just your job easier, but help improve the child faster? Like maybe some things that you don't feel like they understand. Yeah. You know what? There's so many barriers. This is like the most trickiest topic to like cover when it <laughs> comes to, to kids and their parents because a lot of it is education, you know. So, mm. um, so if, in some cases, we do have parents who do have asthma who know um, what it's like not be able to breathe and they're wheezing. Mm-hmm. So they have a better understanding um, for the parents who don't know what like the disease process is. We do a lot of education so we can, and, uh, me and the doctor, the doctors and I will go and teach them. But um, it's an understanding of how the disease process works and mm-hmm. how to prevent that. Uh, asthma is preventable. So if you have it under control and everyone should, not everyone does because <laughs> we see so many kids in, yeah. like, in our emergency department. But it's a, it's a preventable disease. You can prevent asthma attacks and no kid should ever die from an asthma attack. Ever. Mm. That, that would be like my rule. Like if we can get the education down and the resources. But there are a lack of resources. And um, we focus mm-hmm. probably on education like MDI teaching when you know kids use an inhaler. I know you know, that um, people use inhalers for asthma, which is albuterol. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's teaching, using it the right way, proper technique. And that's what 
topics I cover with them. Like what are some ways that it can be prevented by giving that medication at home, right? And just by avoiding like things that trigger the asthma? Absolutely. That's the big one, triggers. So triggers are like the one things that we should focus on because for kids like um, I have asthma also, if, if you didn't know that mm. already. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. No. <laughs> so that's why I became a respiratory therapist. A little backstory on that. And um, yeah, I didn't know my triggers. I grew up um, probably all of high school being stubborn and just wheezing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I have severe allergies um, to pets, dogs and cats, cats in mm. particular. For some reason, cats will... <laughs> me too. Will, That's the same with me, actually. Cats will <laughs> I'm allergic take, to my dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually build immunity to my dog, but cats will take oh, me down. Awesome. I will go in full bronchospasm. <laughs> you can hear me wheezing from across the room. <laughs> so um, allergies is number one. Um, environmental weather, like when the cold, dry weather. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, we live in California. and We get kind of like bipolar weather. It can be 100 degrees one day and then cold the next, <laughs> like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely a trigger and it's just about knowing your triggers, um, carpet, um, in the house, um, sheets, uh, like getting hypoallergenic sheets that helps a lot pillowcases Mm. and, um, yeah, triggers is really big and we try to focus that on education also. So a lot of those things that, a lot of those things are things that you can change, but, like the weather you can't control. So how do you, what do you do when the weather changes? Oh, we just try to, um, you know, a- avoid freezing cold places. Like if you live like in Montana or Wyoming in the winter, that's, mm. you know, that's a different story. But um, sometimes we um, encourage like wearing like a little, like a buff or um, a mask, but the mask was not practical during the pre-pandemic. Yeah. No one was going to wear a mask. So um, sometimes we would encourage like a, um, slight MDI use, like just as you would um, before exercising for the kids mm-hmm. who have asthma, who have exercise-induced asthma. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes their um, primary medical um, provider, their doctor or pediatrician will tell them to um, take some puffs before before um exercising and that would definitely help and avoid asthma attack like open up your airway before you close it exactly (laughs) um you talk about that people take albuterol at home but we give albuterol also in the hospital is it the same albuterol or is it different it is the same albuterol actually uh sometimes the dosing could be different you know sometimes um when parents or teenagers give themselves like puffs of their inhaler, albuterol inhaler, it could mm-hmm. be a lot less dosage as as far as puffs go. Like, and we'll give a, a significant amount in the ED. Mm. So it's a lot different. Like if they're having a, a real exacerbation, we want to hit them hard with um, a really like a full dose with steroids in our emergency department. Is the way that it's administered does that make a difference? Um, absolutely. So, um, as far as like an MDI, which is an inhaler, that's a meter dose inhaler, albuterol, which is, you see commonly with everyone holding in their pockets. We always, that's the one you take home, right? Yes, correct. Okay. And we always need to use a spacer, a chamber with that because anytime you use those MDIs and I'm pretty sure you see it all the time. If you have a friend, they never use a chamber. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's attached to that. You're supposed to attach to the inhaler to use effectively. 
Because if not, you're spraying that inhaler in the back of your throat and you're not getting any of the medicine. I think studies have shown you lose up to 90% of the medication. Oh my God. If you use it without a spacer. So, and I feel all- like you see that all the time, like even in movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the movie. I think there was actually a movie that I just watched on Netflix. It was called Guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal. And he was puffing the entire time during the movie without, without a spacer. <laughs> so, oh, my God. It's so important. And that's where education comes in. Because, you know, when people, sometimes when I bring a spacer out to the families, they're like, what's that? I was like, well, this is how you get the medicine. <laughs> Or I think I remember because I actually had childhood asthma, but I don't know if you can grow out of it. But I like I never had an issue with it after I was young. But I remember someone told me to use it by just use it without the spacer, but just like hold my breath for as long as I can. Um, Oh, yeah, that makes a difference. Yes. So um, usually for the um, for the older kids and the adults will have them hold their breath using the chamber and that like holds the medication deep in the lower part oh, of the Oh, okay. So that was the right thing to do. Yes. But as long as you use a spacer with it, though. Oh, no. I didn't have a spacer. Okay. So that's the technique, probably, if you didn't have a spacer. Okay. <laughs> like, but, but it's best to use it with that even... Because I feel like, for me, it just seems like those spacers would be for younger kids. But even if you're older, you should be using the spacer. Yeah, see, that's the misconception that everyone has. That, oh, that's only mm-hmm. for kids. No, if you're two, if you're 17, or you're 56, no, you, you shouldn't use a spacer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Of course. I'm going to pause just for one second. Oh, yeah, okay. no problem. I'm going to get a drink, too. Okie dokie, I'm back. Okay. Back okay, so we kind of talked about asthma. What what do you think is like the second most common thing that you see? Second most common thing, uh, like linked to like um, pulmonary, like um, yeah, airway. Just any yeah, just anything airway. I think, or just like another misconception that you feel like is out there. Um, misconception is about. I feel like there's a misconception about respiratory therapists in general that maybe like we like slack off or that we don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I just I feel like people never know like what you do. Yeah, and I, I always feel like I have to explain it every time. Like I owe them an explanation when it's like mm-hmm. I was like we have a really important job, you know. <laughs> our airway yeah. is our primary concern, and like every time we have like a code situation, like. I have my role to play and it's great because you know, you as a nurse, you know exactly where I'm at, at the head of the bed. I'll be mm-hmm. there with the doctor and the doctor knows I'm taking care of the airway. We all have a role to play and get to manage. Yeah, I was just thinking stuff. that if we had to intubate without a respiratory therapist as a nurse, we don't know that much like about the ventilation. Like when the PICU or the ICU nurses ask us, oh, what settings are the vent on? Like I, I know how to tell the settings, but like I don't always know what all the numbers on the ventilator even mean. So I don't know what we would do without you. Oh, thank you. That would be like such a, that would probably be an hour long conversation just to explain like basic ventilator settings. Oh yeah, no, you don't have to do that. But I guess maybe we could talk about what what does the ventilator do? Like, what's the point of it? Oh, the ventilator is going to act like this uh, the patient's lungs, to <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, mm. It's going to be breathing for the patient for the um, foreseeable future as long as the patient is going to be fully sedated and really sick. That we're assuming that he required intubation. So, so kind of what you're saying is that when you're sedated, your lungs don't work, so you have to. They're kind of like mechanical lungs that cause you to breathe. 
Correct, but um, if you're it? if you're fully sedated, then that would be worry. But under light sedation, you can breathe on your own. But when we do oh, intubations, okay. sorry, I should have clarified. Um, we use, as you know, we use paralytics. So that is what um, is the most concerning when we have to use that if the patient is unstable. We'll give a paralytic, mm. and that um, takes away their ability to breathe because we breathe with our diaphragm, right? And the paralytic will seize all those functions. So because it stops the muscle Correct. from causing you to breathe. Okay. Correct. So we so we always use a paralytic before intubation, and um, to make the intubation go a little bit more smoothly. And um, the doctor will be um, assisting me with intubation. I'll be prepping the ET tube, um, getting the ventilator ready, and then when it comes down to it, um, the um, doctors will most likely intubate. And in some hospitals, I do know that uh, respiratory therapists do intubate themselves, just not mm-hmm. in ours. <laughs> and intubation just means you're putting the tube down the, it's not the esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the stomach, not into the stomach. The trachea. <laughs> that wouldn't be, maybe sometimes accidentally. <laughs> actually, that you're... does happen accidentally, a lot actually. Oh, okay. But we do know if that happens, as you know. So we have um, this thing called a capnograph. It's a CO2 detector. And mm-hmm. we, as soon as we put the tube down the patient's airway to the trachea, we know if it's in the trachea or the esophagus because we, atta- <laughs> we attach this little, it's called a capnograph, and it's a CO2 detector, and it changes colors. So we put on the ET tube, and then if it changes color from yellow to blue, then we know we're in the lungs, and we can, oh, okay. and we can keep the ET tube in place. So the the tube goes down the trachea into the lungs, and they, does the ventilator just, like, push air into the lungs? Is that what it does? Yep, oxygen and air, which is oh, which okay. we call tidal volume. But Are two different things, which not everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So oxygen is what we read when we get, like, oxygen saturation. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, a lot of mm. People we hear know like, oh, what's that number? Like 90, 92, 94. That's most like their oxygen saturation that we're monitoring. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Thank you. So I don't even know a lot of this stuff as a nurse, so it's very helpful. Thank you. Oh, no, I learned from you too. So it's nice to learn from each other. Yeah, it's good to be aware of these things, especially if you have a kid that has an airway like issue it's or if you have an airway issue yourself I think it's really good to be aware of these things I think so you know like when something goes wrong oh yeah so um yeah like an instance where just hours ago like I said this morning we intubated um I had a bag of kid and it was about 30 or 40 minutes because he wasn't breathing on his own and we can't Mm -hmm. intubate um right away if the kid is actively seizing and um unstable so and the bag is kind of doing what the ventilator does, but without the tube, right? It does it. Correct. Well, I guess it. Correct. It just pushes air in, hoping it will get down to the lungs. Yes, exactly. And some of that air does go into the tummy, so that the kids will get distended and get will get air into the stomach. But we can always solve that problem later. I never, I never realized like, this is kind of scary, but like I never realized how many things could go wrong. <laughs> Until I worked in a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) So many things. So maybe that's good that not everybody knows how many things can go wrong. Like, (laughs) like, oh, you can get too much air in your stomach and then. Oh, but yes, but that's great. See, that's why we all have a role to play and we, you know, we could troubleshoot. So if like, you know, if I'm bagging with a bag valve mask or, you know, 
there's air going into the stomach, you know, we can vent the kid through like either an NG tube. I think that's what you guys use to help mm-hmm. vent that air out, out of the stomach. So it's not so distended. Mm-hmm. And you guys can do that while I either bagging or on the ventilator and they'll have yeah, a role. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty, it's a very important role, especially yours because airway is like, if you don't have airway, there's no point to anything else. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. And then um, kids, it's most like nine times out of the 10 kids have like a healthy heart. And when they're in like cardiac failure, respiratory failure, it's most likely still because of pulmonary, because of the lungs. Mm. So that narrows it down because most, most of the time kids have a healthy heart. So airway is really important in that regard. Especially in kids. Maybe we could talk about what they do in an adult hospital. Like is it similar to working in pediatrics? Do you know? It is similar. So um, the only thing that's different is, um, you know, the, the size of the patient. So kids are a little bit smaller. So just um, anatomy, like airways mm-hmm. grow over when you get older. But um, yeah, like you were saying about like misconception, um, healthcare workers is a lot different because they have somewhat of an understanding of what they do, of course, because you guys mm-hmm. know how important we are, which is a good thing. Yeah. There is some overlap. So like, you know, the doctors will... Um, know what we do but they study what we study also just not so much in depth so that's why Mm -hmm. they rely on our expertise you know um when we're in charge of the ventilator and we make changes you know as the as the um patient is progressing in a good way i hope um we make changes to the ventilator um small change small incremental changes you know to go lower on support and then Mm -hmm. eventually we'll hope to get them off the ventilator and extubate them so they can be able to breathe on their own and um yeah healthcare workers you guys we all work as a team and we have a good understanding but the public um it's getting better actually so um unfortunately we didn't have this pandemic that's still going on <laughs> i hope we're going towards the end of it but um we had a lot more um what's the word i'm trying to look for um publicity awareness. yeah awareness yeah. that's even a better <laughs> yeah not just <say> publicity <laughs> awareness that's such a great word um because, you know, COVID-19 is a respiratory disease and um, there's been a lot of um, awareness on like the media and, you know, um, online, social media about what RTs do. And we're like mm-hmm. on the front line. We have to deal with all the um, COVID-19 cases and the severe ones that um, a lot of the patients either going to end up getting intubated or being put on high flow. That's really common in the adult hospital. Mm-hmm. Um for those cases, I have not worked in the adult hospital during the pandemic, but I hear it's been really busy. So. Mm. How how has COVID affected your your in hospital experience? Has it changed anything for you? I think it changed everybody in a way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. I bet it was scary when there wasn't much known about it, and you guys are the ones dealing with the airway and with the breathing. Oh yeah, I think there was so much fear about it. You know, like we had to you know, fully isolate, fully gown up and everything for every shift. It was, it was really new. It was scary for everybody, but I feel like, you know, now it made a lot of us stronger. We got Mm -hmm. so much more knowledge about, you know, COVID-19. We know how to um, treat it effectively somewhat. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we're in a a better point to um, uh, prepare if we do encounter like severe, severe cases and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad of the awareness that we got as healthcare workers, you know, towards it. Yeah, kind of knowing 
the path or the progression of the disease makes such a big difference. Mm-hmm. And um, COVID nineteen is tricky because it can progress in so many different ways. Like um, as you know, it's a viral illness, but it can just, mm-hmm. just cascade and have a domino effect towards uh, a lot of other things and that people weren't aware about. Because you know, it COVID nineteen can cause a pneumonia, and then that pneumonia can get into your blood, and you know, you can get septic. And then you can go into mm-hmm. septic shock, and it just, as you can see, it has like a domino effect to other um, potential problems. So, if you have a let's let's look at a scenario where you have a patient come in that has severe COVID, and it starts affecting their breathing, and they're having difficulty breathing. Can you kind of what are some things that you can do to help them because it's a virus? So, I mean, the I know like antibiotics won't work for them, and I mean, it would be a more immediate issue because it's their airway. So what are some things that you could do to, that you do to help those patients? Yeah, so that's the tricky part. Because as you know, you know, we're limited in antibiotics since it's a viral illness. And we usually give antibiotics for, you know, bacterial infections. Mm-hmm. And uh, COVID-19 is viral in nature. So um, when they have difficulty breathing, it's primarily because, you know, have they're having like this fluid buildup that leads to a pneumonia in their lungs. And they're not getting adequate ventilation and oxygenation, which is oxygen. Mm-hmm. And we have to give them either um, a high amount of oxygen or escalate that if we need to. And we'll give them a nasal cannula that's a little bit more high-powered. That'll deliver mm-hmm. a lot more flow than a regular nasal cannula. And that'll stent their airways open so they can breathe a lot better. But mm-hmm. in some cases, if that doesn't work, we will escalate that to a, we, a machine we call... Um, our V60 and it's uh, bi-level. So that delivers uh, positive pressure ventilation and we can set the um, oxygen to the level that we see fit and mm. the, to the patient's needs. And that will help. And them you can't give them albuterol. Albuterol doesn't work for them, right? Um, in some cases it might help them a little bit, a little bit bronchodilation never hurt. Um, we will trial that. Um, just because there's n- uh, not many side effects to albuterol other than like, you know, mm-hmm. jit- uh, jitters or uh, tachycardia, which is a high heart rate. Mm. Um, because it's not the sa- is it because it's not the same process? Like it's not that they can't exhale. It's is it's if it turns to pneumonia, it's because there's too much fluid in their lungs, right? Correct. Correct. And that and pneumonia, we would primarily treat with um, a high level of oxygen. And if we need to, a positive pressure ventilation, because that will actually push the fluid out. out of oh, that lungs. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. Could you tell us like a patient experience that you had that like really stuck out to you? Oh, patient. It could be like anything. Mm. There's so many. We've had so many crazy cases, as you know. <laughs> and I feel like with kids, I used to work adults, but with kids, it sometimes tends to stick out more for me. I don't know why. Maybe because they're so small. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're at the beginning of their life. You know, it's totally normal to feel that way. <laughs> so that's a normal reaction to like, you know, that it hurts a little bit more because these kids are mm-hmm. so young. Um it was a cardiac kid and our um, cardiothoracic ICU. That's our CT mm-hmm. ICU where we have all our um, abnormal and very rare congenital heart defects. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't go into that, but um, <laughs> there's so many. But, you know, some of the, the heart defects are super rare, like, you know, Tetralogy of Fallot. That, um, I think that got some awareness because I know Jimmy Kimmel's um, son had that and was actually at our mm-hmm. hospital, Children's Hospital Los Angeles. 
and mm-hmm. had multiple surgeries there. But um, we had a kid. That's that's with when just like a lot of things on the heart are in the wrong place. Yes, yes, <laughs> there are. There's a lot of things is like <laughs> disposition. It's uh, flip flopped. But I think there's like four defects um, for that particular mm-hmm. um, disease for that heart defect. Mm-hmm. And um, we had one, and that was we had a patient which is an emergent intubation and that was tough i think mostly because you're right like it's um it's a child one year one year old and um the parents is something probably i will never get used to you know like Mm -hmm. taking these kids um it's almost like bittersweet i love taking care of like these children but like you know hearing like a, a mom or dad's cries that's something i will never get used to (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's almost heart piercing in a way you know but Mm -hmm. i work towards the days that you know that are treating these kids to to be better and leave the hospital and hopefully prevent a lot of these things absolutely that's the best part when you see them because you can that's like the one exception you can tell them oh i hope to never see you again but in a good way you know (laughs) exactly i think especially with kids because like you're saying some of these things are preventable so the whole goal is to have them not see us (laughs) yes (laughs) and it is so hard with kids especially with the parents because i mean it's their kid and just just see them watching things like this happen it's just really hard so i agree that's like one of the hardest parts for sure yeah and so you know sometimes we'll see patients like a week later and you know like we learn from that we can say what can we do different how can we teach them different and Mm -hmm. you know it's all yeah for sure a lot of it's resources and education and when there's a lack of resources there's more patients in the emergency room (laughs) Yeah, and I wish we just had more staff. That's all we need. The last yeah. to top it off. <laughs> Please, we need some staff. <laughs> uh, okay, so to end this, maybe in one sentence, can you give us a summary of respiratory therapists, just like what they do? <laughs> a one-liner for us. Respiratory therapists are awesome. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but can you be a little more specific? Of course. So respiratory therapists manage the airway. That is the one thing that is the most important thing we do. Um, we take care of patients and their breathing, um, and we take care of multiple pulmonary diseases like asthma, cystic fibrosis, um, pneumonia, of that sort. Thanks to Aaron for coming on and talking to us about respiratory therapy. I think that I even have a better understanding of what a respiratory therapist is and their role in the hospital settings. So I'm really thankful that he came on and talked to us. Don't forget to subscribe and find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare. And I'll see you next time on the podcast.